I'm Ann Harper, a proud alum of Duke Law School, class of 1991, and currently a producer of State of the Bay, a public radio show that airs live on KALW, an NPR affiliate in San Francisco. As a member of the Duke Law Alumni Leadership Council, it was both an honor and a joy to speak with fellow Duke Law alum Giovette Washington, class of 1992, who is currently the Senior Vice Chancellor and Chief Legal Officer at the University of Pittsburgh. Giovette's road to the Iron City is paved with incredible career milestones, demonstrating the power of a Duke Law degree and Duke Law's alumni network. She talks about her service in the Clinton and Obama administrations, as well as the trials and tribulations on her path to partnership in private practice. Join us as we delve into Giovette's story, from a curious child in Southern Georgia to the halls of power in Washington, D.C. We should note that this interview was conducted prior to the passing of beloved Duke Law Professor Walter Dellinger. Please enjoy this episode. Giovette Washington, thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thank you for having me. So tell us about you. Where did you grow up and, and what was your family like? So I grew up in rural Georgia, a small town called Greenville, Georgia, which is an hour south of Atlanta. And I am an only child born to two educators. So I grew up going to school with my parents, sitting in their classrooms, learning everything. My father was actually my elementary school principal, um, which was a totally interesting experience for a young kid. I did my best to make sure that none of my schoolmates knew that my father was my father because I wanted to be my own person, not the principal's kid. So that was an interesting early education. Um, uh, and so I grew up in rural Georgia to two educators, but I was an only child. And so I spent a lot of time watching TV and I watched Perry Mason religiously and decided at an early age that I wanted to be a lawyer. So that was my thing. My father wanted me to be an engineer. My mom and my dad were both math majors and they thought it would be really cool if I would be an engineer. I can't do math. So that was an overarching impediment for me. Then my father thought I should be a doctor. I don't do blood either. So I stuck to my guns. I'm going to be a lawyer. At some point, when my father would go to his county office, I would run and go into the courthouse across the street and listen to court at the end of the day, um, which was my first kind of taste of the courtroom, which was all I knew about being a lawyer. So I thought, great, I'm going to stand in front of you know a judge and get my client off from whatever charges and make sure everything's okay. And I've never done any of that in my career. How old were you when you were going oh, to court? I mean, I'm, I was probably like six, seven, eight years old. Oh my God. That's amazing. You know, in the 1970s in rural Georgia, kids ran free. We were kind of like feral kids. <laughs> and so as long as I came back when my dad was looking for me, I was fine. So I'd run through the courthouse and sit in the courtroom for a while. And then after a while, he figured out that's where I was. So if I didn't show up, he'd come looking for me. That's great. Wow. So when you arrived at Duke, was law school what you expected? So I didn't know what to expect. I thought law school would be like undergrad. And I went to a small women's college in Georgia and really enjoyed it and had a great time. So I arrived at Duke and instantly hated it. Um, <laughs> a, there were men in my class, which I was kind of like, wait, I'm not used to that. Uh, and two, the classes were large and it was a totally different learning experience. And so my first 
Christmas break, I went back to my college and spoke to my professor who was my advisor. And I said, Dr. Taylor, I've decided I'm quitting law school. She was one of the first women to ever go to law school at Vanderbilt. Oh, And she had decided halfway through, she didn't want to be a lawyer and she had gone and gotten her PhD in history. And so I thought, I will explain to her, I'm going to follow in her footsteps. I am going to quit law school and I'm going to become a professor. I didn't know. And she said to me, Miss Washington, you will do no such thing. You will go back and you will finish law school. (laughs) And I said, okay. And I went back and I finished law school. My second semester, I developed a relationship with Professor Dellinger and he kind of took me under his wing. And it was the beginning of a mentoring relationship that I've Continue to this day. I mean, he's played a pivotal role in almost every career decision that I've made, including sitting me down and helping me do my clerkship applications in his office in my second year, right before spring break. So I think that kind of helped get me through. I also, in second semester, developed a group of friends who were lifelong friends who I continue to be in touch with and see from time to time. So I think I I got in a rhythm, but it was a rude awakening from a very small liberal arts college to walk into Duke University School of Law and sit in classrooms with hundreds of people. Um, But, you know, I made it. That is so great. Professor Dellinger was my small section professor. And so I know what an amazing person he is. Um, And so after law school, you clerked for Audrey Robinson, senior judge on the U.S. District Court for the District of Columbia. Um, What was he like? What did you think about clerking? Clerking was great. Working for him was wonderful because he took a lot of time to explain to me what was happening in the courtroom, what lawyers were doing right, what he thought they could have done differently, how you could approach a problem or approach questioning or approach an argument differently. It's a really good learning experience for me. And I developed a good feel for what it was like to be a litigator from watching tons of trials, actually, with him that year. He was a great judge because he knew the lawyers who came before him really well. And he knew which lawyers were good on their feet and which ones were good on paper. And he made sure that he got the best out of those lawyers and didn't penalize them for not being good in one mode or the other. Mm. And I thought that was a really interesting lesson that I've carried with me because not everyone is good at doing everything as a lawyer and figuring out who can do what well is an important thing, particularly if you're a manager. You can't expect everyone to be able to perform at the same level or the same speed or in the same way. And being able to bring out the best in all those people is what will help you get to the best result. Right. So then you went to the Department of Justice and you worked with Walter Dellinger, um, who was Assistant Attorney General for the Office of Legal Counsel at the time. Was that fun? Not many people get a chance to work with their former professors outside of academia. It was fun. It was a little weird. Uh, I must say he had to ask me three times to do it because I thought my end goal, having not had lawyers in my family, only knowing what I knew from being in law school, I thought the end goal was to be a partner in a law firm. And while he had convinced me that I should clerk for a year, that was about it. I had a job waiting for me in Atlanta and I was going to go do it. And so the first time he called me and said, you should come work with me at Justice, I said, that's so nice of you, but I'm going to Atlanta. Mm -hmm. And he said, okay, that's interesting. And then you know, Professor Dellinger, I now call him Walter, which is also weird. Um, He's persistent. 
So the next time he called me, he said, I've been thinking about it. I really think you should come work for me because I think it would be really good for you and it's something different. And I said, no, I I really, I I can't. I've decided I'm going back to Atlanta and I'm going to work for this law firm. And of course, as is often the case, a boy was involved. So I was moving back and, you know. So the third time he called, he said, so Javette, tomorrow at 2.30, you have an appointment with Janet Reno. (laughs) And And I said, wait. What? And he said, well, I've decided you're going to come work for me and you need to come tomorrow to the Justice Department. Call this number to give all your information. We'll clear you in. And you're meeting with Janet Reno at 2.30. And I said, but Walter, I, you know, I don't, I don't think that he said, so you are, how old are you now? And I said, well, I'm 25. He said, what is partnership track at this law firm that you're going to, which by the way, he had connected me with. And I said, well, it's seven years. He said, so seven years from now, you'll make partner. What else are you going to do with your life? What are you going to do then? And I never thought about that. The goal for me was to be a partner in a law firm. I hadn't thought about what the career looked beyond that. He said, you have plenty of time. And if this is the right place for you, they will wait for you. But you should come do this and get this different experience. So I did. And it was awesome. And I got to work with him very closely. I was his special assistant. And Professor Powell and Professor Schrader came and worked with us, and they became Jeff and Chris. And uh, it was a really powerful experience, and it totally changed the trajectory of my career. It opened doors for me in ways that I hadn't thought about being a government lawyer. I didn't know what that was like. I didn't know the things that you would get to do. It also made me fall even more in love with being in D.C., so I never went back to Georgia And it changed everything. So I give him lots of credit for convincing me and being persistent. Um, He takes all that credit because, you know, that is Walter. Um, It would be interesting to hear him tell the story. I'm not sure if he would tell it the same way. I'm sure he would say he was persuasive the very first time. (laughs) And I never looked back, right? So, Right. So what kind of work were you doing for him? One of the decisions he made was for me, even though I was his special assistant, to be treated just like a regular career line attorney, which I think was brilliant on his part. And I did opinions. I worked on executive orders. I cleared bills for constitutional issues. From time to time, I also did speeches for him. But by and large, I just did everything else. I spent a lot of time doing executive orders, which would come into play and be helpful for me later in my career. Right. And so then you went back into private practice, and and one of your first cases was actually working on the recount, right, for the litigation that followed the 2000 election? Yeah, it wasn't one of my first cases, but it was a case pretty early on in my career. But I did it totally pro bono at night, flying back and forth. It was actually an interesting experience because I was at the firm, and another of my partners had been at Justice when I was at Justice, and he got tapped pretty early on to go to Florida and work on the recount. He had shared an office with Ron Klain earlier in his career. And Ron said, you should come and help us do this. And so he was doing it. He bumped into a lot of our mutual friends who were working on the recount litigation. And they needed young attorneys who knew how to litigate. And Jeffrey said, well, Javette will do it. And so I got on a plane on Friday night, flew down, would work all weekend, get on a plane Monday morning, come back, 
and do my work at the firm during the week. And at night I would work on recount and then I would go back in the weekends. So I did it in the craziest way possible, (laughs) but it was a great experience. It is the most fast moving case I've ever worked on. You know, litigation goes on forever and ever. This one, we went up and down to the Supreme Court multiple times. It is also the only case I've ever lost that I am reminded of almost daily. But it was an excellent experience, worked with really great people. And it was a lot of fun. That's phenomenal. So you stayed with your firm and you made partner in D.C. and you worked there for a number of years, but eventually came back to the public sector when the Obama administration came in, right? Can I ask you how that felt as a woman of color to work for the first African-American president? It was a great honor. I remember being so excited when he won the election. I was actually living in London at the time, and I never thought I would see an African-American become president. And this is really cool and how great But I was in London and working for a client. And so I thought, this is not an administration that I can go into right away. Mm. I returned from London and friends I knew from when I was at Justice were talking about commerce needing a deputy general counsel. And that's kind of how it happened. And it was a great experience. I, up until that point, had been a person who was in the background and was the second to everyone. And that was the experience that taught me that I could be a principal on my own. And that was an important lesson for me. I think as women, we often are happy to be in the background and make sure everything goes well. But it's really good when people say to you, oh, by the way, you can be the person who's leading this, which I got in spades during my time at Commerce. And I met my now boss when I was at Commerce. So it was a really beneficial experience for me. That's great. So you became general counsel at Commerce, right? No, so I didn't. Um, I went to OMB to become general counsel. So uh, Cam Carey was the general counsel when I was the deputy, John Carey's brother. And he decided at some point he was going back to Boston and he had decided I was going to follow in his footsteps and be the general counsel. And I was okay with that. I knew the people at Commerce. I thought it was a great place to be. And I had things that I needed to get done. And one day I got a call from presidential personnel saying the incoming director of OMB would like to speak with you. And I said, huh, that's interesting. What does she want? thinking there's some commerce thing that she needs help with. Mm -hmm. And the person I was speaking with said, well, she's looking for a general counsel and people have mentioned you as a possibility. And I believe my exact words were, well, that seems really hard. I don't think so. And the person who I was speaking with, who's a really good friend of mine said, look, just come talk to her. You don't have to agree that you're going to take the job. Just come talk to her and see what you think. And that was the first time I met Sylvia Matthews Burwell, who is a phenomenal leader, a phenomenal person. And I walked in the door, met her and instantly thought she's amazing. She's confident. She's organized. She has a plan for what she wants this to look like. And wouldn't she be a great person to work for? However, Cam really wanted me to be general counsel at Commerce. And so I was trying to figure out how I was going to do this. And, uh, They put the moves on me really hard to come to OMB. And finally, I got up the courage to tell Cam that I really wanted to go to OMB. And I did. And it was a really important 
move for me because it was the first time that I was the person in charge, really in charge. And I got the opportunity to do so many things that I don't think I would have necessarily done if I had stayed at Commerce and make a lot of really good connections with people and brief the president from time to time. So, you know, those were really good experiences for me, which I think have provided me with valuable lessons as I've moved forward. I bet. I mean, that is a huge job being general counsel. And one of your responsibilities was to review executive orders, right? Which President Obama made good use of. Had your Um, private practice prepared you for that kind of work? Um, No, not at all. But when I was at Justice working in OLC, I had done a lot of executive order review. And so I knew the process. I knew the people. I knew how it was supposed to work. And I was very familiar with it. So it made a lot of sense. And so can you tell us about a time when you met with President Obama? Is there a time that stands out in your memory of one of your favorite interactions with him? My classmates know this, but I'm one of the shyest people ever. So whenever there's someone really important or famous around, I will run and hide. (laughs) One time, one of our classmates was dating a basketball player and Grant Hill showed up in the law school and I legit ran down the stairs and hid somewhere. Like, that's just who I am. And so at some point, one of my colleagues at OMB could not go to a meeting. And at the very last minute, I got subbed in to go to this meeting. And it's a small conference room and we all gather around the table and I know all the people around the table. And then the president walks in and... All I could remember is I just kept sitting there thinking, please don't pass out. You have to breathe. If you passed out, what do you think would happen? This would be horrible. And I'm sitting there thinking like, oh, gosh, please don't pass out. Don't drool. Like all those things. And I hear Valerie Jarrett saying, Javette, Javette. And I'm like, I've totally zoned out. They were asking me some question. I came to, I think I saved a moment, you know, I wasn't a total embarrassment, but you know, my first thought was, oh my goodness, I'm sitting at the table and I'm about to advise the president about some issue, which I may have learned five minutes ago, but that's fine. Please don't pass out from not being able to breathe. Did it get easier? It does get easier. I think it gets easier, but still, I think every time I was near him, I would kind of catch my breath. Like it is the president and he is awesome, right? So that was... That was always a thing. That is so great. Okay, so now you serve as Senior Vice Chancellor and Chief Legal Officer at the University of Pittsburgh. I mean, that really rounds out your career from clerking to DOJ to private practice to commerce and OMB, and then now as general counsel at a major university. I mean, law has a pretty steep learning curve as it is. Do you feel like you're constantly starting over, learning new areas of law? I do, but that's the best part of it, constantly Mm -hmm. learning something new Um, And what I love most about being at the university is that never ends, as best as I can tell. There are constantly things coming at me that I hadn't thought about before, I've never really paid a lot of attention to, and figuring out how to solve those problems in a way that's going to allow the university to serve its mission of teaching and learning and service is, is a really interesting and great thing to be able to do. That's great. And then most recently, you've been working with the Biden-Harris transition team. Can you talk about what you've been doing for them? It was a very intense couple of months. The agency review teams were charged with figuring out how 
well situated the agencies were to carry out the then president-elect's policy priorities so they could hit the ground running. And I put together a team of about 21 people who were experts and had previously been at the department assessing who's there, what positions they were going to need to fill, and then how they could best carry out the stated policy plans. This was a lot of work, but we pulled it together. I think we did a a good job, and I'm really excited for the team that's there now, and uh, I think they're off to a good start. Were you surprised by what you found? Well, that's an interesting question. I mean, I had a lot of friends from Commerce, and I stayed in touch with them, so I knew that they were on pins and needles and a little worried about their futures. Mm -hmm. I had that in mind as I was pulling together the team. I wanted the career people that we would be interacting with to feel comfortable and to feel safe that they could talk to us. And they did. Commerce was one of the agencies that didn't actually get the brunt of, you know, what was happening in other places. Although it has a lot of science bureaus, by and large, they kind of were left unscathed. Census is the one exception. The Census Bureau had a lot of um, interaction with the White House and a lot of uh, controversial things that were happening, which I think made the careers a little worried. But, you know, by and large, it was what I expected of my colleagues at Commerce. They were Mm -hmm. the ultimate professionals. They were there to carry out the mission that they know they have to carry out regardless of administrations. And they did their best and we're prepared to see the next administration in and, and carry out the mission with them as well, which is what career servants do every day. So at the last Duke Alumni Leadership Council meeting, we had the opportunity to hear from two incredible student leaders at the law school, Erin Flood of the Women of Color Collective, uh, which is a new organization, and Naya Gavin, who is president of the Women's Law Association. And I was wondering what advice you would have for them So my first piece of advice is enjoy your time in law school because you never have as much time to sleep or enjoy nice weather (laughs) as you did when you were in law school. I miss those days every day. But also, I think making connections with your professors and with your classmates will be really important much later on in your career. Mm -hmm. And using that time now to find the people who will be your allies and your mentors is really important because Mm -hmm. that's been a big thing for me throughout my career. And those are the friendships that keep me going. I always think that my career has been a combination of really hard work and a lot of luck. But I think the luck is driven by the hard work and making sure that people know that I'm going to be dependable and I'm going to get the job done. Those are the things that resulted in people coming back to me and saying, there's this opening here I think you'd be really good for. And that's definitely happened to me a number of times. That's how I ended up at the university. My final piece of advice is kind of the corollary to what Walter said to me so many years ago, which is this is a marathon, not a sprint. And you have to Be open to the opportunities that fall in your lap, because if you're too wedded to a particular goal, you may miss something spectacular that's going to give you the opportunity for a great career. And I definitely would have done that if he hadn't said to me, what are you doing? (laughs) And I think we do lose sight of that. I think we become very goal focused and we have a five-year plan and this is my plan and this is what I'm going to do. And I've been really lucky to have people who've knocked me off my plan many times to make sure that I 
take advantage of opportunities that turn out to be good for me. All great advice. Well, thank you so much for sharing the story about your career. It is so inspiring and it's going to be a great way for us to connect law students with alumni. And we hope to do more of this. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. Please be sure to subscribe to the Duke Law Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify to be automatically updated when new episodes are available. Until next time, thanks so much for listening.